Hello, this is uh, Bishop Christopher Mukwavi, Senior Pastor at Living Hope Church, Pentecost Assemblies of God, Zambia. I want to welcome you to this uh, podcast as uh, you listen to this message. Our goal here is to preach a holistic message that will bring total transformation to our lives. God bless you as you listen to the message. It's an honor to stand before you today. <laughs> I was, as I was sitting there, I was wondering, how does Bishop preach in two services? I feel completely gassed, but anyway, the oil is sufficient, amen? It's, a, it's an honor to be here, really. Um, a huge thank you to the youth ministry, the youth leadership for giving me this opportunity. Much more than that, gratitude to Dad, Bishop. Uh, he's trained me through the sermon that I'm about to present to you. He's been coaching me. From, Saturday, from Friday, was it? Friday till today. So we've been together and we've been shaping what God has for us this day. Huge gratitude to mom as well. It's a rare privilege and an honor to stand before the people of God today. With that being said, okay, I've left my phone there. Any seven from the youth? Okay, thank you so much. I'll need it for the notes. With that being said, we can open to our scripture for the day. Thank you so much. Which is <coughs> First John Chapter 4, verse 13. We may rise as we engage in the reading of the scripture. First John chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. If you are there, just say amen. Amazing. First John chapter 4. By this will and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And this is where the main context of my message will come from. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. This is the word of the Lord, shall we pray? Father Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your kindness, your grace and your mercy. We thank you for every ministration that has come forth, O Father from the worship team to Caris, And even now, we thank you that there is a prophetic utterance that is with me, oh Father, that this is for your glory. Far be it for me that I may take the platform, but Father, let your glory be displayed. This is your platform. And I pray, oh God, that you may minister to your people in various ways, through their various needs, oh Father, their various requests, oh God, and even where you want to touch them aside from their requests, oh Father. I pray that you may do it through this message, oh God. Yes, we ask that your spirit may be with us, for where your spirit is, there is liberty. Help us engage in the reading of the scripture and in the revelation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We may take our seats. Okay, so we have been looking at the harvest and our role as laborers in the harvest. And so today, the, the title of my message really is 
centered on our identity as laborers in the harvest. So, so simply the title of the message is the identity that natures the harvest. That means the identity that takes care of the harvest. So what is our role in God's field, in the field that God has commissioned us to? What is our role as individuals? And so it's so important for us to understand our identity because we can only understand our role when we understand our identity. And so the theme is understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. When we look at an identity, it represents something that defines an individual. So we look at this in the context of, so you can help me with the, we're moving to the introduction now. We can look at this in the context of organizations. Organizations will give you an identity card so that people may identify with who you are. And as they identify with who you are, what do they do? They identify your role. And so an identity is a representation of who you are to that organization. So that people may know your function and, and you being, what, what are you doing there? What is your functionality in that organization? So when we come to the point of God revealing to us our identity, he does that so that we, we may know who he is and he may show us who we are. And so in the, in the Christian context, our identity is simply a representation of Christ. So we are image bearers. So it's, it's the vine connected to the branches. It's the extension of God in you. So the glory of God is being extended to mankind. And, it, and first of all, it's been extended to his family and his household. That is why as a church we are called what? The body of Christ. So he is the head of the body and we are the body of Christ. So we are, we are a representation of, who, of what God wants to do on the earth. We are carrying the glory of God within us as vessels of him. And so the identity that he has placed in us, this identity card that I talk of in organizations, is the spirit of God. Moving to the background. His spirit in us is what identifies us as his own. In your family, you may have, not you may have, you do have a last name. And that, that, that runs through the theme of your family. It runs through the lineage of your family. And God has given us his spirit to identify us as his own. So we know that we are in the family of God. We know that we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God based on the fact that he has given us his spirit. And it, prior to this, it is our confession in testifying that Jesus is the son of God that enables God to abide in us and us in him. So to bring context to this, I will not assume we are very far, everybody's familiar. I've always been told not to assume everybody is saved. So to bring context to this, we all know that man is born spiritually dead. So God said unto Adam, if you eat of this fruit, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But it wasn't a physical death because we still see Adam in the scriptures. So it was a spiritual death, which means there was a separation between him and God. And so God has given us access to be reconciled back to him. And it's not even by our works. It's not even by our efforts, but it's purely by the grace of God. Even the faith that you have to confess that Jesus is the son of God comes from God himself. And so everything that embodies us as children of God is really the grace of God working in us. And so through the genesis of our, of our testimony, we come to the point of faith by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Him abiding in us will enable us to be in this world as he, he, as he is. We have the privilege of being the branches as Jesus becomes our vine. And so I, I was earlier illustrating that if you look at seeds, if I was to bring a bunch of different seeds that were to bear different fruit at a point in time, but if you look at them in their seed form, you will not know the identity of the tree that is, about to be, that is about to sprout. You may not know that this is a mango tree. You may not know that this is an apple tree, a pineapple tree, whatever it may be. You may not know the identity of the tree based on the seed. 
And so, but if you give the seed to the farmer, the farmer can ensure that the seed falls on fertile ground. And it, it gets nourished until it is identified as a mango tree. So God is our farmer in this, in this metaphor. God is the one who we give access to into our lives that he may give us an identity. That we may no longer be seeds tossed to and fro, falling on, on unfertile ground, on thorns and whatever it may be that chokes us from the purpose that God has for us. But he enables us to sprout and bear the fruit that Jesus Christ wants us to bear. So that is why we are the branches bearing the fruit of Christ. We are an extension of what God wants to do on the earth. An extension of God's glory. Because Jesus Christ is the glory of God. But now we are one with Christ and he has given us his spirit. So now we have the privilege of being like God. As he is, so am I in this world. So the purpose statement of today, being aware of who we are in Christ. And the main idea of the message is to make us aware of who we are in Christ so that we may know how he wants us to live and thereby submit to his will. And I was earlier saying in the first service that submitting to his will, the first thing that God does when we come to the point of repentance and the confession of faith and Jesus Christ accepts us into the family of God is he gives us desire. So he refines our desires. Before we had different desires, but now he's refining our desires. So we are not submitting to God simply because we have to. We are submitting to God because we want to. And we want to, not because we simply want to, but because God has placed a desire in us to want to. And this is the reason why in the Old Testament we see a narrative um, of people going to God and going to foreign gods. And there's a constant shift in people's desires and who they are to serve. But the Spirit of God has come as the one that gives us an identity to eternal life. So it gives us access to have a sustained identity and go before the God as the true and uh, as the one and only true God. And not just by virtue of duty or performance, but by virtue of desire. I was saying before that I have a mother, and in the first service I was saying, I hope she comes in the second service. Thanks be unto God, she's here in the second service. And so when I'm at home and in every household, there will be rules, there will be things that your parents want you to do. But you'll find that if you, and it's a privilege for most, I will not assume everyone is, but it's a privilege for most of us that are in loving families. Why? Because there are certain things that you do, not because your mother has told you to do them or your father has told you to do them, but you do them because you have acknowledged the love of your mother, you've acknowledged the love of your father, and therefore you're not doing them out of obligation. You are doing them out of compulsion. There's something in you that just want, that has a desire to obey. There's something in you that is telling you, I have to work hard in school because I want to please my mother. And this is what God does in us. He reveals to us his loving kindness, his tender mercies, his attributes, his wonderful supremacy. So that we may stare at the beauty of God and see something unlike we saw before. And the Bible says, we with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God and are being transformed from one splendor of glory to the next. So it begins with seeing the love of God. And not with our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart. They are open to the love of God. They are open to who God is. And when we see something more beautiful than we have ever seen, we are compelled to draw closer to him. So even in our submitting to God, we do it because he has given us desire. He has placed in our hearts a desire to be compelled to submit to his will. And so if we are therefore doing things out of obligation and as it was in the Old Testament where we had the law, the Bible called uh, Isaiah to prophesy that our righteousness has what? Filthy rags. 
but Christ has come that he may give us the righteousness of God. And so it is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God. And so I was saying in the first service that if I come here and I simply focus on my glory, on what I'm going to do, on what I'm going to preach, how well I'm going to preach, I miss the point. Because it's not about my glory. And so the Bible says, whatever you do, whether eating or drinking, do it all unto the glory of God. So wherever God has placed you, you have placed you with an identity so that you may let his light shine. It's not your light, but his light to shine. And this is why you need not to doubt God in the seasons of life that seem contradictory to what you desire. Because God has good intentions for you. So in every season, in and out of season, God desires to reveal his glory even through that season. And so looking at our identity, looking at the fact that we've been accepted in Christ Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, that we may be identified as God's children. This is a representation of our new birth. Our new birth represents us coming alive to Christ. I earlier explained that we are spiritually dead. We were separated from God. But now we have been united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 5. I'm looking at the time and I'm in disbelief. But... <laughs> We will try to finish in due time. Okay. So I may not read every scripture. You may have to. If you're taking notes, you just take the, take the notes uh, or rather take down the scriptures. So we have Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass or our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ Jesus by the grace which you have been saved and raised us up with him and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So I did explain on that earlier. Through our birth in Christ, we have the privilege of resembling our creator. We have become image bearers that reflect the nature of Christ, hence the term Christians, which means Christ ones. So that is the identity that you have. In coming alive to Christ, the new man is being separated from his past life. All things have become new. We have read of the scripture and it's quoted many times. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And so God's desire for us in doing this is to form us, as I was saying, is to form us into the likeness of Jesus. And we're going to get into formation now. Is to form us into the likeness of, a, of Jesus. So identity is proof that God has placed his spirit in us as guarantee for what is to come. And this guarantee is highlighted in the book of Ephesians that we have all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This guarantee is highlighted in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so this formation is making us come alive to what pertains to life and godliness. And the only way our formation can continuously reflect the glory of God is by continual surrender to God. And we see in the book of Isaiah 45 verse 9 that the clay does not tell the potter how it should be molded. You will never see a beautiful painting that painted itself. And so God designed you with a story. He designed you with a vision in mind. The Bible says in the large house there are articles of gold and silver, wood and clay. And God wants to use them for honorable purposes. Tell your neighbor, honorable purposes. And so if God wants to use me for honorable purposes, it means I have to allow him to mold me. It means I have to be the clay that yields the molding of the potter. Even when it seems like it's hurting on the left side, when it's hurting on the right side, when it's hurting in the heart, when I've been rejected, when I don't get the promotion, when I don't get the job, when I don't get the grades I desire. There's something about God that is still using my story to form me for his glory. Amen. So we submit to the formation of God 
by increasing in the knowledge of God and allowing the knowledge of God to become a reality in our actions. If we are the clay, it means we need to allow the porter to form us as he desires. God is supreme. Many of the times we don't realize that when we're in the methods of God or in the path that God has for us. So we pray for something expecting results, but we want the results, but not the path to the results. We want our own path and then God's results. And, and then God's results. So sometimes God's path may not always be desirable. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass for me. If the Son of God himself had to go through a bitter path, that he's grieving in the garden of Gethsemane, saying, let this cup pass for me. Surely there will be some paths that God allows for us to go through that we want to pass from us. But what's interesting is the, is the next context of what Jesus says. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. How can my small mind, in, in its, all its smallness and uselessness, aside from God, think that my ways are better than God? How can I go before the throne of God and say, God, I wish you did it this way. God, I wish he accepted me. God, I wish he replied to my text. God, I wish th this happened this way and that way. And so you have, we have this way and preconceived way of imagining a God of our own. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. Because they wanted a God that just suited them in every season. But sometimes before you get the results of God, you have to go through the processes of God. And I was saying through our overnight meeting that our new year overnight meeting that God teaches us into his promises. And so if the promises of God are not reaching me, it's because the nature of God is teaching me. And the nature of God teaches me into the promises of God. Praise the Lord. And because of this, because of how he molds me and he knows me from the inside out, he's the farmer that is nourishing the, the seed. I can yield to the molding of the porter. Function. God forms us into his likeness so he can use us as his ambassadors, functioning on the earth as he would. In John 14 verse 12, Jesus says, the things that I do you shall do also. If you believe in my name, the things that I do you shall do also. And even greater than this. I, I, I can imagine that the, the disciples... We are astonished at that statement. They were surprised at the statement of Jesus. Because how is the man that has been our tutor? How is the man that has been our teacher? How is the man that has been a representative of how we should live on the earth? Living and say, you shall do what I did and even greater. But Jesus had something he was going to breathe out to them. Which is the Holy Spirit. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, they begin to function as Jesus functioned. So we are simply a container of a God-given purpose and a story that is being narrated day by day. We see in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, where God calls Jeremiah at the point of birth, which means God doesn't create your purpose as, as you are living your days. He already created your purpose, and then he says, this purpose shall fit in this container, which is you. And so, if you look, I was saying even in the first service, that if you look at your surroundings, if you look at where God has placed you, God has placed you in a certain environment intentionally. Tell your neighbor intentionally. The process of God that you go through are intentional. God is intentional. And, and so he's placed you in that particular environment. He's placed you in that particular workplace. He's placed you in that particular school. He's placed you in this particular church. Because there's something that he wants you to give to the church. 
It's not just about what you can receive, but what you can give. Because God has given you something you can give and contribute. So we are laborers in the harvest because we have something to give in the harvest field. And so we need to understand our identity so that we understand what God wants us to do in the harvest field. And so we see, as I was earlier talking about, these different processes that God takes us through. And some are, are, are painful and unbearable. But we, we see the fruit that comes out of these unbearable seasons of life. And this, fruit, and this fruit that comes out of these unbearable seasons of life are what enable us to be equipped laborers. So we see in the book of Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, the Bible talks about in this world you go through many tribulations, but these tribulations shall bring perseverance, they shall bring character, they shall bring hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we see a story of Mephibosheth, very difficult name, Mephibosheth. Second Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. I'll just read a little bit of it. Second Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. The context of the story of Mephibosheth actually begins in Second Samuel chapter 4 verse 4. But we will read Second Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. I was hoping we'll get there through the screen, but I can't see it. Uh... Okay, so I'll get there. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. I'm not hearing pages flipping. We're all waiting for the screen. Okay. Sometimes we don't understand the pages just in case we don't find the scripture. And our neighbor is looking at us like, Boss, Mula Bible. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? I love that statement. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? There seems to be a consistent narrative of God using what is left. Because God doesn't use what you've lost. He uses what you have left. So even when they're crying out for a lot of food, God says, what is left? And there's only what? Two, five loaves and two fish. And he uses that because God uses what's left. Is there anything left in the house? Of, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? This is David speaking. That I may show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So this is Saul's grandson. And so David wants to acknowledge the household of Saul, of Saul because he had so much reverence for him. But in actual sense, the narrative is to point to the fact that God is about to show Mephibosheth the kindness of God through David. The context in the scripture here is that Mephibosheth was... Okay, so I have to be very quick. So the context of the scripture is that Mephibosheth goes through a painful experience because... When he was five, you, you can read the story in the book of Second Samuel chapter 4. When he was five, a nurse was carrying him away from the, 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 the chaos that existed in the house of Saul. And as she was carrying him, fleeing from, that, from, from the household of Saul, she drops him. And when she drops him, he becomes impotent. He becomes lame. And so Mephibosheth grows up lame. He grows up in so much anguish and pain to the point that nobody knows him. So when David is looking for somebody to show kindness to in the house of Saul, he cannot find anyone because nobody knows him. He's been sitting alone in the household of Saul and nobody has taken care of him. Nobody has showed him the kindness of God. And David locates Mephibosheth and hears Mephibosheth's answer. After he talks to Ziba, in Zambia we would say Ziba. After he talks to Ziba, if you're thinking of Zuba, God rebuke you. After, after he talks to the servant Ziba, nice name, eh? Ziba. The servant says, there is one person left in the household of Saul, and that is Mephibosheth. 
And David calls out to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth says, yes, my servant. And David invites him into his household, into the household of kings. And Mephibosheth says, who am I that you may look upon a dead dog such as I? Distorted identity. And I was, I, I, once I preached a message in Kaofa and I said, God is more interested in destroying your mirror than he is interested in destroying your heart. Because your heart can mend, but if your mirror is broken, everything we put in front of you will seem broken. So even when you go through a trying season in life where you didn't get the promotion, whatever job you're applying for, because you have lost your sense of identity, you think you won't get it. I think it will always be the same. And so Mephibosheth is in this circumstance where even when God is trying to bless him, he can't get the blessing because he does not see himself as one who is worthy to sit with the kings. But it's not his worthiness that qualifies him. Because God formed you for his glory. So your life is a narration of a story that has the glory of God at the end of it. So which means whatever anguish you've experienced, which means whatever verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse you've experienced, whatever rejection, whatever lack of promotion, whatever you failed at, God still has a story that is being narrated for you that leads to his glory. Because God created you for his glory. And you are more satisfied when God is glorified. So if he's doing it for his purposes... He's doing it so he can enable you to see his glory th through the circumstance. We are told of a blind man, and when Jesus approaches this blind man to heal him, the people around say, who is this man, and who is he? Did he sin or his parents sin that he may be born blind? And Jesus Christ said something so profound. This man was born blind that the glory of God may be revealed. And sometimes the seasons of your life, sometimes the challenges in your life may differ from the next person because your story is different, because God wants to narrate something through your story. God wants to engineer something through your story. God wants you to impact the world through your story. And so as painful as it may have been, as painful and anguishing as it may have been, for Mephibosheth to walk lame, to fail to walk because he was lame all his life, there was the kindness of God that was waiting for him. And I came to prophesy to you that there is a kindness of God that is waiting for you. There is a kindness of God that is after this. The reason after this, it does not end here because you are moving from one splendor of glory to the next. Amen. Amen. So your story enables God to use you. Mephibosheth, as lame as he was, and I'm closing. I like some keys when I'm closing, so if the, musician, <laughs> if the musicians can hear me, uh, I would love that. So your story enables God to use you so you can function effectively in the harvest. Embrace it. Don't run from your story. And even even I, I can confess, there have been times when I've wanted to run. There have been times when you've been told, oh, Lua, can you help us with the poem? Can you help us with the, with the sermon? And you just want to run because you're going through so much and you don't feel like you are worthy of the harvest or you don't feel like you are capable if you're incapacitated in the harvest. But it's all part of God's narrative that the processes that I go through are made effective or rather the processes that I go through make my story effective, make my ministry effective. Whether it be it in season and out of season, whether it be in the valley or in the mountains, remember there is water in the valley, and, and, and water indicates the living waters of God. There is intimacy in the valley. So that is where he molds me and produces the fruits of perseverance, the fruits of character, that I may be an effective minister. And whatever it is that you are going through, as different as we may be with our different stories, but with one identity as the body of Christ, your story has a ministry and a glory at the end of it. And so in conclusion...
And what's amazing, even before I get to the conclusion, what's amazing is these are mere men we read of in the Bible. Mephibosheth is a mere man. But he has a legacy. <laughs> right now I'm preaching on Mephibosheth because he has a legacy. And he has a story to his name. And some of you may not know how much what you're going through and how you're enduring the season right now will impact even generations to come. And so sometimes God allows you to go through certain seasons, not just for you, but even for your children. So the next time your son comes to you with a certain problem or your daughter or whoever it may be, you may look upon them and, able to, and be able to help them in that situation because you have a certain level of empathy that you encountered from your own story. Nothing that God does is in vain. I said he is intentional. Even the things that seem were outside God's story, they seem that they detoured you from God's story and you felt that you are not a, like, like you are not a plan of God's story like Mephibosheth. Who are you to look upon such a dead dog as I? God is about to paint his, the narrative of his glory in your life. And so in conclusion, our identity in Christ is a representation of the glory of God in, in us. Our identity in Christ is God's way of assuring us that who, we who were strangers are now a part of God's family. We who were alienated are now a part of God's family. So you can take down Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 in your notebooks. Embrace your identity and the light of the creator. The clay only has hope in the hands of the potter. Where are you running to, my child? God may be speaking to you to this day. Where are you going? The painting cannot paint itself. Allow your identity and who you represent to be known to the ends of the earth by spreading the gospel and loving others. This is the word of the Lord today. Shall we rise to our feet? And even before I pray and I call Bishop, I will not take it for granted that everything I said was, <coughs> you were able to understand. Maybe the terms that I used were foreign because you have never met Jesus. You have never met this Christ that I talk of. <coughs> and maybe you've just heard about him but you've not accepted him. If, if Christ were, were to come today, you are not sure. And you don't have the boldness the book of, of John talks about where we'll have boldness <coughs> in the day of judgment. Do I need some water? I think so. Just give me a moment. You have to be strategic. You, mo you move the mic away just in case <coughs> you hear the gallop. <coughs> So God, today is calling you, whoever you are. I don't know who you are, but if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, and, and, and the Bible says he comes like a thief in the night, so we, we don't really know when Christ is coming. There may be signs, and there are signs, because the Bible says you hear of wars and rumors of wars. So the signs are there. And it could be, it could be tomorrow. As far-fetched as that may seem. So if you're here and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I'll invite you to the front. Just raise your hand. Or even where you are, just raise your hand and I'll be able to see it. I'll give you time. It's no walk of shame. <clears throat> We've all been there. And even if it were shameful, it's a decision that is far more superior than the shame. So if you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you're unsure of your salvation, if Jesus were to if Jesus Christ were to come today and you don't know whether you would be accepted into his family. Raise your hand and I'll be able to see it. I'll give us a few minutes. 
Let me just whisper something to the Lord even as we wait for our brother or sister to have the courage. So I'll give you 10 seconds. Don't postpone your salvation. It is a matter of life and death. Praise the Lord. If not today, I hope you do get saved. I'll be praying for you. But this has been the word of the Lord and a rare privilege and an honor. And once again, thank you so much, Bishop, for your training and the privilege to minister today. I will invite Bishop to the stage and as we close. Thank you so much. My prize, this message really encouraged you. It is my hope that you look forward to listening to the next message. God bless you.